I think you have to be really passionate about the story that you're writing. I've heard of people say, oh, you know, you need to write to market. I, I, I also do manuscript assessments and it's really easy to see someone who's writing a story because they think they should as opposed to writing a story that they fully believe in. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Each week on The Convo Couch, I'll be chatting to a wide range of women writers, focusing on the heart, craft and business of writing, along with a new release feature author each month. You can listen to the episodes on any of the major podcasting platforms or directly from the Rights for Women website, where you'll also find the transcript of each chat and the extensive Rights for Women backlist. On a personal writing note, my current release is All We Dream. If you'd like to know more about it or any of my books, you can check out my website at pamelacook.com.au for more information. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Now, let's relax on the Convo couch and chat to this week's guest. I'm just starting off today's episode with a few book recommendations for you. This episode's coming out on Good Friday and we have a whole weekend ahead of us and hopefully everybody's going to get some reading time in. So there's some great new releases out and I just wanted to share a few that I've been lucky enough to receive from publishers that are coming out this month. So first off, I'm currently reading Love Objects by Emily Maguire. It's such a beautiful book. As you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, it's got a great cover, just the whole floral thing, and it fits in beautifully with the title. It's a fantastic story written in Emily's beautiful style about a family, an aunt, a niece, a nephew, family relationships. The aunt is a hoarder. The young woman, Lena, in the story gets herself into some trouble revolving around a video that's made of her and what happens at university with her. So I'm I'm halfway through that and I'm really enjoying it. Emily's a fantastic writer. Uh, Some of you might know her through Writing New South Wales, where she teaches Year of the Novel. And her writing style is just something to really be soaked up and enjoyed. And and I highly recommend this book. Because today's guest on the episode is Ali Sinclair. I've also been reading The Code Breakers, Ali's brand new historical fiction, which was also out uh, a week or so ago. And it's quite a chunky tome. And if you love Australian historical fiction, anything set during World War II, you will love this. It's a great story about women who perform the job of being code breakers during the war in Brisbane and had to keep that secret, not just during the war, but for many years afterwards and just their lives and friendships and and what happened during the war and to them after the war. So that's another great one I recommend. I received in the mail this week. This one isn't out for a little while yet, but Another gorgeous cover and I'm sure another fabulous story from Rachel Johns, How to Mend a Broken Heart. And I've been chatting to Rachel on Messenger this week and we're trying to line up a time for Rachel to come on the podcast and we're going to talk about writing processes. So that's going to be an episode to watch out for too for all the writers out there. Another one that's out, I think, today or very soon, the title that 
I really need to get into actually how to fake being tidy. I'm not much of a housekeeper. Uh, and this is by Fenella Sutta. And I'm sure that it's got lots of great tips and I'm sure that there's a fair bit of humour in there. So it says, with distinctive wit, how to fake being tidy will leave you smiling with recognition at the everyday dramas and dilemmas that can make or break friendships and marriages, turn a house into a home or let chaos get the upper hand, which some of you, if you're like me, might be familiar with. My cleanest just being, by the way. Honey Blood is this week's giveaway. If you follow Rights for Women or me, Pamela Cook, on Instagram and Facebook, you'll know that I'm now combining the two newsletters for those two mailing lists because managing two is too much. So they're going to be whipped into one. And I'm doing a weekly book giveaway because I do get all these fabulous books from publishers and I want to share the love there because I can't read them all. This week's giveaway is Honey Blood. It's a memoir from Kirsty Everett. Uh, Kirsty was going to be an Olympic gymnast, but she sadly suffered uh, from cancer at a very young age, at the age of nine, and then that returned at the age of 16. And against the odds, Kirsty survived. She never achieved gold at the Olympics, but she learned a lot about people, attitudes and resilience. And I know that there's a lot in there that people are going to uh, love to read about a, a tough story, but one that's all about resilience and survival and hope. So if you'd like to be eligible to win that, this is a hump day giveaway. So I give away books every Wednesday on Instagram and Facebook, but you do have to be a newsletter subscriber to be in the running as well as to like and share those posts. So hop onto Insta and Facebook, hop onto the Rights for Women or the Pamela Cook.com.au website and sign up for the newsletter and you'll get plenty of reading and writing news, as well as be in the running for the giveaways. Also out this month is this book, which looks fabulous, by Nicola Moriarty. You need to know everybody's hiding something. And if the story itself is anything like the book cover, sorry, the secrets we keep, the lies we tell and truths that won't stay hidden. Jill, her three sons, their wives and children are driving in convoy on Christmas Eve, but something sinister is simmering behind their happy smiles. It's a dark domestic drama about family secrets and lies, fractured relationships, tragic mistakes and the ultimate betrayal. And that's one that certainly sounds like my kind of book. So uh, I'll be enjoying that soon and that'll be out soon for you to enjoy too. Another fiction title which is out, and I think it's out around now, is The Zookeeper of Belfast by S. Kirk Walsh. It's a remarkable story based on true events, both uplifting and heartbreaking. And it's based on the incredible true story of love, hope and triumph over, over adversity set in 1941 with the men away fighting animal lover Hetty Quinn has made Belfast Zoo's first ever female zookeeper. She's put in charge of Violet, three-year-old Indian elephant, and they soon form a special bond. But then, of course, uh, the war interrupts that. So that sounds like a really interesting story. And last but definitely not least is uh, this gorgeous-looking book from Kanina May, All We Have Is Now, and it says on the back, healing others is their calling, but what happens if they can't fix it themselves? A richly nuanced and empathetic examination of life from a talented new Australian author, health and wellbeing brought Ollie Olive, Elsie and Bree together. After five years, their bustling wellness centre is demanding expansion. A beautiful Federation house nestled amongst the picturesque backdrop of their small town is the perfect place to grow their business, but they don't count on their personal lives getting in the way. A poignant story of friendship, loss and courage as three women discover what they treasure most. So another fabulous women's title from Kanina May. So, look, there are just so many fantastic books coming out um, in April and May. I think with Mother's Day 
on the horizon. Publishers have really set a lot of books to come out at this time of year. There are not enough hours in the day for us all to get the reading done, but I hope that does give you some idea of some titles that are coming out soon from Great Australian Women Writers, and I hope that you all get out there and support them and get the reading done. Have a great Easter, everybody. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Ali Sinclair. I talked to Ali about the Codebreakers, but also about her writing life, her publishing path, and some really interesting things that she's doing as well as writing novels. So watch out for that and stay listening. Happy Easter. This month's new release feature author is Ali Sinclair. Ali is an award-winning Australian fiction author who has lived in Argentina, Peru and Canada. She's climbed some of the world's highest mountains, worked as a tour guide in South and Central America and has travelled the globe immersing herself in an array of exotic destinations, cultures and languages. Australia has always been close to Ali's heart though and she loves the diverse landscapes and the rich multicultural heritage of this wonderful land. Ali's books explore history, culture, love and grief and relationships between family, friends and lovers. She captures the romance and thrill of discovering old and new worlds and loves taking readers on a journey of discovery. Her most recent being Burning Fields, the cinema at Starlight Creek and her brand new release, The Code Breakers. And there's so much buzz around about this book. I can't wait to chat to Ali about it. So, Ali, welcome to the Convo Couch at Rights for Women. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to have you here. There's a lot of buzz around your new book, The Code Breakers, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about it. So can you start, first of all, by just telling us what the story is about? Yeah, sure. It's inspired by the real-life female code breakers in Brisbane in World War II. And the story follows Ellie O'Sullivan and her journey as a codebreaker in Brisbane. And it also actually follows her life afterwards as well, because one of the biggest things that these codebreakers had to do was keep a secret for six decades. And so it affected all different aspects of their life. And so part of this story actually examines what it's like to, you know, live with these volatile secrets and not to be able to tell anyone. You couldn't tell your loved ones, couldn't tell your father and mother, couldn't tell your kids. So it was really interesting to examine the impact of secrets and, and how it affects people. Yeah, I want to get on to talking about that because secrets are just <laughs> such great fodder for oh, yeah, future, of course. So you really hit the jackpot with this one. Um, <laughs> but Ali, I'd really love to know where did you get the idea and the inspiration for the story and the characters in this book? Yeah, I had written a book called Burning Fields and I really loved writing about Queensland um, post-war. So it was set in 1948. My main character, Rosie, worked for the Australian Women's Army Service. And so I just thought, you know, I really I want to keep going with that theme. So I just Googled Brisbane women, World War II, and this tiny little story popped up. And it had been in a newspaper, actually, in Victoria, of all places. And it was about this female codebreaker who worked for Central Bureau. I'm like, who, who is this person? Why have we not heard about it? So that really just set me off on the path and I, oh gosh, months and months and months and ended up being like two years of research, but months trying to uncover who these women were and to actually find them and speak with them as well because I 
when I write stories, they are heavily based on fact and I like to be able to talk to the people in the professions that I'm writing about so I can bring authenticity. Mm. So, yeah, it's quite a challenge to, to find these ladies because, you know, they're not hanging out on Instagram. They're all in their 90s. <laughs> so, sorry, how old are they, Ellie, now they're in their 90s? Yeah, 96, 98, yeah. Yeah. How did you yeah, go about right. tracking them down? I mean, Google is fabulous, obviously, but I'm <laughs> sure that there was more to it than just typing in a name and, and finding their address. Yeah, Google does have its limits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, as part of my research, I read a really fantastic book by David Dufty. So people, if they're interested in getting into the more technical side of, of the Code Breakers, it's a really great nonfiction book. So I read that and then I actually contacted David and explained to him who I was what I wanted to do, why I wanted to track down these ladies. And I knew he had interviewed them. So he got in contact with them and uh, asked if they'd be willing to have a chat to me. And luckily they said yes. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we've had some amazing conversations over the last couple of years. It's It's been really yeah. great. I've sent some of your posts on Facebook where you've talked about these women. So how like forthcoming were they? Were they now totally okay with talking about that experience so much she was kind of more of the attitude of like, well you know it just happened so long in the past you know I'm more in in the present day which I can totally understand and then some of the others were really happy to revisit it and especially the friendships and remembering the friendships which were so important to these mm. ladies because they were living and working with each other 24 hours a day and so the friendships that they formed were pretty intense. So they were really actually quite happy to, to revisit their time as co-breakers and yeah. uh, also tell me a bit more about their lives afterwards and, and how they dealt with keeping all these secrets. It must have been such a challenge for them. I mean, for anybody working in any undercover job like that, but I guess coming out of World War II, and all the social changes that were happening. Women's lives obviously changed so much during mm. the war because many women stepped up and did jobs that they weren't technically allowed to do pre-war. And then, of course, had that experience that when the war was over, they almost had to go back into their normal life and yeah. forget all those changes. Were they the things that came up for these women that you're speaking to? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've also interviewed for other stories, I've also interviewed other women who did you know, pretty significant jobs during the war. Yeah, a man might be talking about, you know, all these big things that they did during the war and they're having to remain silent and, and not be able to say anything. And, you know, they're sort of thinking, well, you know, if you if you knew what I'd been doing, you wouldn't mm. be talking to me like that. So it was really interesting to, I guess, find out how they felt. But one of the common themes, I think, for every single <clears throat> one of the co-breakers I spoke to was... We just did our job. It was expected of us and we did it and, you know, part of our job was to, to keep quiet, so we just did it and got on yeah. with it. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, it obviously had personal ramifications as well, of course. It definitely, and that definitely comes through in the novel is that sense of really doing the job for the country and being part of that war effort. There wasn't really very much questioning of whether they should do it. When the job was offered, Ellie, your main character, steps into that role. So Ellie and Kat are characters we meet at the beginning and Ellie's your main character. Are they based fairly loosely on some of these ladies that you actually met? My co-breakers who have read it like to think that they are. <laughs> <laughs> and if they want to run with that, I'm cool with that. Um, <laughs> 
there are a few little elements in there, you know, events that have happened that certainly I think have been inspired. But Ellie and Kat, they were just a little bit of a writer's dream. They they came fully formed. I just I really mm-hmm. knew these two women and what they were about. And yeah, it just felt like I I just knew them from the first time they appeared on the page, which is really unusual for me. So writers out there don't hate me. (laughs) We're all allowed one or two of those, I think, Ellie, in our lifetime. (laughs) I usually struggle to get to my white characters. It usually takes a few go, like a few drafts. But this one, yeah, certainly Ellie, like I really had a good sense of who she was. But in saying that, I had had so many conversations with the real-life codebreakers. I think Mm. that really helped build that foundation of a character who has a really great moral compass, who is very loyal not only to her friends and family but to her country. Yeah, so I think those elements of her personality definitely came from the women that I spoke with for Mm. sure because they they Mm. all had very similar personalities in that regard. Right. And, of course, the characters are a hugely important aspect in the story, but there's a lot of other stuff there that you must have spent a lot of time researching. I have to ask you, you're not from Brisbane, are you? <laughs> no, but the last three books have been set in Queensland, so I think <laughs> I think I just need to move there. I know, you must have a yearning to move north. <laughs> I think so. Because <laughs> I've got such a strong sense of the place, particularly in the opening chapters there where you're describing where they're walking down the street and they go dancing at the Trocadero and things like that. So how much research went into setting the scene for that? story yeah I I think it has helped that I probably go to Brisbane you know well normally (laughs) pre-COVID I'd probably be there three four times a year and so I guess that was it is my second home so I have been lucky enough to be able to spend the time researching and actually walking in the footsteps of these code breakers I've been working with some historical societies who were able to give me photos and descriptions of places. I actually got to go and visit Narambla where the women worked in the garage behind the mansion Mm -hmm. and walk around the gardens and actually see where the garage was where they worked. So to be able to go and do that just adds such a different layer to, to the story because I can sort of stand there and close my eyes and imagine Ellie and the girls walking through the gates of of Narambler and towards yeah. the garden, that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, my mum, uh, she's 96, but she has talked a little bit about her life during the war. She didn't actually work outside the home at that point, but she's talked about different things. And your writing really brought back to me a lot of the things that she told me about life during the war and getting the stockings on the black market, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, no, that's that's lovely. My grandma, grandmas and older ladies that I know, just over the years I've had conversations and, and I've always been fascinated about what it was like for them at the same age as me so when I was in my 20s what it was like for them in their 20s and that sort of thing so I guess I've kind of always grown up with a fascination for that I guess it's all just sort of up there in the brain and when the time came to write the book I I kind of had quite a lot of that information or the feel for the story yeah on the page you know as we were saying before Ellie secrets are always a great tool for a writer to build into the story and this one had a zillion of them sort of given to you on a platter. (laughs) Once you got the initial idea for the story, how did you then go about developing that plot? And, you know, you had a whole lot of factual information and based on the research that you'd done, what was the process for you then in fictionalising the story but still maintaining that idea of the women having to keep these secrets and, and to have this hidden life? 
Yeah, honestly, this book nearly broke me. (laughs) It's been the toughest book I've written because there are so many facts in there and I wanted to also weave it into a fictional tale as well. Mm. So there was the whole technical aspect of learning about Qantas and what the women did during World War II, how they became engineers with Qantas and what Qantas did in terms of flying supplies to um, the troops in Papua New Guinea. So the story starts with Ellie working for Qantas. So I sort of had that aspect to the research. (laughs) And then, of course, there's Central Bureau and then the work that the women did. And then also weaving it in with the whole relationships because this story is really about relationships, about Mm. friendships and and life in wartime. So there were, yeah, there were a lot of aspects I had to weave in. And then, of course, then there's the World War II timeline and thank goodness for my editor because I think it was the second draft and she was reading it and uh, and she's like, you know, if we add this maths up, that's not quite going to work. And if we looked at this, this was happening then. So she was really fantastic as well because there were so many balls up in the air. It was very easy to drop one. So mm-hmm. <laughs> luckily we caught them all. Wow. <laughs> And I have to ask, based on that, Ellie, are you a plotter or a pantser? Yeah, I'm definitely a plotter. I tend to do all my research and that kind of helps inspire the story and where I want to go with it. But then I find as I write, I might go off and research something else or a character appears that I knew was going to exist until they just show up and... I do give myself a little bit of leeway in that regard. So I've got my, I guess, my outline there. I've got my bones of the story. But as I write the drafts and flesh it out, sometimes I will will go down a different path. Mm. Um, but I've always got that outline there to go back to if I need it. If I've written myself into a corner, I can't get out. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever written yourself into a really bad corner? <laughs> yeah, burning fields. That was a shocker. I wrote myself into a really bad corner. I had my outline, but I didn't stick to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I let myself go down another path. 30,000 words later, realised, no, this is so not working. I had a really long chat with my editor and she's like, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> so then, yep, scrapped the 30,000 and then went back to, you know, <laughs> where I was at 20,000 words and then wrote again. But, yeah, that taught me that probably diverting that far may not be a good thing for me. I I admire people who are pantsers because I don't think I can do it. (laughs) Everyone has their own process, don't they? That's the thing, finding what works for you and and more or less sticking with it. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And are you a daily writer, Ali? Are you someone that when you're working on a book, you're in there every day at it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I usually have a goal of X amount of words and whether it takes me four hours or 12, I stick to it. That's when I'm on deadline. If I'm not on deadline, then you might find me watching Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Research, research. But when I'm writing a book, I'm writing the thick of it and I tend to be like what I call a binge writer. So I will write like every day for maybe three, four months Mm -hmm. until I get a draft done and then I'll push it aside and then I'll maybe go and do some more research for the next round of edits or just let the story sit and then I'll come back to it and then I back into it again and I'll work on it every day, seven days a week until the next one's done. I just find for me it's just easier to get into the story and the characters rather than picking it up and putting it down for a week and then coming back up to it. 
I mean, sometimes life happens and you can't help but have to put things aside. Yeah. But, yeah, generally it's every day. And do you revise as you go? Do you use someone who writes a scene in the morning and then later that day you'll go over it and revise it and refine it or do you just go through the whole thing and then come back for revisions? Yeah, I go go through the whole thing because otherwise, yeah, I I don't think I'd get past page one. Tweak, 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 tweak all the time. So what I tend to do is just write the draft and I'll make little notations throughout, just in the comments or whatever, and go research this or this scene's about going to be about blah, blah, blah. So sometimes I might skip a scene, but I will make notations all the way through because sometimes there are scenes, even if they're early on, because if we don't have a good handle on the characters, we may not be able to write that scene properly. But once we've sort of done the first draft, we can then go back and write that scene now that we know our characters better. My first draft always has a lot of question. (laughs) When you're at the point where you hand it over to your editor, how fully finished is it? Like, is there a lot of work then after that? Generally, no. <laughs> but the code breakers, yes. Right. <laughs> so, by the time I send it to my publisher, it's fully formed and I've edited it to the best of my ability and she goes over with her very keen eye and, and pokes holes in it, which is fine. And I love that because I really like getting the feedback and someone else's perspective because I, I know that it will always help my story and characters along. But with the co-breakers, I did do it to the best of my ability, but because there was just so much to juggle, I really needed an extra pair of eyes to to help me finesse it more. So this one we definitely did a lot more work on than previous books just because of the amount of information in there. Yeah, for sure. And what's been the reaction of the women that you interviewed and, and did the research on? Have they actually read the book and given you any feedback? Yes. You know what? I was more nervous about getting feedback from them than I was from my editor or reviewers. <laughs> yes. So one of the ladies uh, lives a couple of hours away from me and I had just received my author copies and I really wanted to get them to her and we planned to catch up in a, you know, a few days down the track. But then we were about to head into lockdown again in Victoria for five days. So I just bolted up the highway and hand-delivered her the books and then we went into lockdown. But she was so sweet. She, she'd be calling me and she'd be like, oh, I really, you know, I really like this bit and this bit reminded me of that. And and then she called me after she'd finished and she said, I've just been sitting here crying. I'm like, oh, I hope they're good tears. She goes, oh, yes. She said, I can't, you know, I'm really happy that our, our story's out there. So, which has really yeah, meant the world to me because I really wanted to do their story justice, even though it's fiction, mm. um, sort of inspired by these ladies. So I wanted people to really get on board with their story and learn more about what life was like for them. Yeah. It was great, absolutely great. And the other two are currently reading it at the moment. So, okay. Which is awesome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, after all those years of being quiet and being silent about their story, I mean, obviously they've been able to talk about it for a while now, but to actually see their stories and so much of their lives in print and being shared must yeah. be a real buzz, I think. Oh, oh, absolutely. One of them is I think she's waiting for the red carpet to be rolled out, which it totally should be. <laughs> I think she should have been on the stage. She's loving the limelight. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ali, that's a nice segue into something else I wanted to ask you about, which is your work in screen and film. 
Ah, it was a good segue, wasn't it? Yeah, it was perfect. (laughs) What can you tell us about that? Uh, Look, I've grown up loving books and films. I mean, I just love stories in, in any kind of medium, really. But the last three years I've really wanted to cross over and and bring my stories to the screen so I've been doing courses and writing scripts and just learning the craft because even though it's all about character and story it's just presented in such a different Mm. way and yeah they are very different animals in terms of of writing so it's been quite the learning experience but I'm loving it 2010 I was at the Romance Writers of Australia conference coming back from Sydney and uh, I sat next to this lady on the plane and we just got chatting and she was a documentary producer. At that stage, I hadn't even been thinking about going, you know, working on the screen. But we met and we got along so well and we just kind of felt that we were meant to meet. Mm-hmm. You know, the universe had thrown us together. And when I first heard about these co-breaking ladies, I was telling her about it, and she's made a lot of documentaries and her eyes lit up and I'm like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? She's like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so we started going down the path of making a documentary about Central Bureau, about the men and the women, and we started filming. We got a really amazing cameraman and director on board and we did our first lot of filming and then, of course, COVID happened. So we had to put it on hold. So we are ramping up again, which is really fantastic. A lot of the co-breakers are interstate, so we have to play it by ear. We've also got to be very conscious of the fact that a lot of these people are in their 90s and they are in nursing homes so we need to be really careful about that so we're trying to figure out our way to be able to get everyone filmed and and so we can put it together which would be fantastic and then also from the drama side of things I've been working with a producer on a couple of uh, film projects which will sort of be books and film hopefully wow. <laughs> uh, which has been really fantastic I've been dabbling in that as well so yeah it's not much time for sleep no you're really spreading your wings it's fantastic yeah I'm loving it I mean I love the publishing industry and I've been in it for quite a while so it's nice to I guess be introduced to a different industry and see the similarities there's a lot of similarities but there's also some differences too so it's nice to have my foot in both both fields yeah and so I was trying to work out from your website, is it eight books you've had published now? Uh, six, but I've yeah, got two more on the go. So yeah. Okay, almost eight. So when you sort of think back over your years as a, a published author to where you are now, mm. you know, just looking at your books and the evolution of, of your writing, how do you see that trajectory for yourself when you look back to, you know, where you started and, and where you are now in terms of, of what you've learned and how you've grown? Oh, wow. Yeah. Gosh, 2014 was when Luna Tango came out and I was so green. (laughs) Didn't really know much, but I was really lucky. Australian authors are such a generous bunch and I was very fortunate to have a few authors who have, you know, are now really great friends just kind of guide me through the whole debut author Thing and help me with the ups and the downs and the questions mm. and all that sort of thing. So that has just been wonderful and it's great because I've been able to pay it forward with other authors as well. At the time when my first book came out, my goal was like to one day walk into a bookshop and, and see one of my books up there. And, of course, then that happened and it's like, well, I wouldn't mind a couple more up there. 
Shifting goals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I never go back and read my books because the inner editor just would not cope. <laughs> No, editing it in my head. Yeah, take it from someone who's just revised one and oh, re- republished it. It was really tough going reading that that second book. That yeah. But yeah, look, I think um, in terms of growing as an author, gosh, I think I've surprised myself by the different kinds of stories that I've been writing and a couple of other projects different again. So I guess I'm just evolving all the time and my stories and my characters are evolving and I think I'm a lot more intuitive in regards to what works and what doesn't work. So I might be writing something and go, you know what, I know. This, this scene is not going to work. Yeah. Whereas at Facebook, Ali would have just written it and not kind of realised. So I think there's been a lot of learning in terms of craft. There's still a lot more to learn, which is great. And that's why I love doing this because there's always something new that we can yeah. learn. Yeah. And things that we sure. can improve on. It's just, just constantly changing. So what advice, Ali, would you give to either aspiring authors or authors in the early stage of their careers? What advice would you give to them overall about the writing and life and the publishing industry? Hmm. I think most important of all, you need to, to love what you do because you spend so much time with your story and your characters. Look, there can be days where you just can't stand them and just... <laughs> <laughs> want to walk away from them and say, right, that's it, I'm done. They're but, like your children. <laughs> but I think you have to be really passionate about the story that you're writing. I've heard of people say, oh, you know, you need to write to market. I, I, I also do manuscript assessments and it's really easy to see someone who's writing a story because they think they should as opposed to writing a story that they fully believe in. It's amazing. You can really see the difference in the in the writing. So I think the number one thing is, Just love what you do, you know, write the story that you want to read. Yeah. Um, Because the market's constantly changing. So if you're writing one particular genre because you love it, it may not be popular now, but maybe by the time you've finished your book and you start talking to publishers or you decide to self-publish it, it might be a really popular genre then. Because no one has a crystal ball as much as we like to think we know what's going to happen in the future. (laughs) we're all guessing so so yeah so just write what you love and of course read 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 read, and read widely don't read just one particular genre that's why I really love going on to uh, different book reviewer websites because I I find there's quite a few book reviewers who will read across a lot of different genres and sometimes I find books that I wouldn't normally pick up and I read them and love them and I learn lots from them as well for sure and I'm going to ask you a few more questions about your writing life in a little minute for the Patreon community people who support the podcast through Patreon. But before we get to that, just to finish off this main interview, Ali, the book is out now, The Codebreakers. It's getting lots and lots of publicity. I'm seeing it everywhere. It's all over social media. I don't want to jinx yourself or anything, but how are you feeling with the release of this book, say, compared to the release of your last couple of books? Oh, that's a good question. I I was definitely the most nervous I've ever been in regards Mm. to a release, probably because this is the book of my heart. Um, I'm so close to the ladies who inspired this story. I really wanted people to fall in love with them. 
and enjoy the story. So definitely the most nervous, but now that it's out and people are enjoying it and and talking about these ladies and and in awe of them, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, look, I, I I think this book is really resonating with a lot of people and that has yeah, that's just absolutely made my day because because it was the hardest book I've written so far, it has been worth every mm. <laughs> every tear and swear word. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And also like, I was just thinking you started off writing contemporary, didn't you? It'd be dual timeline, but the main feature story would be contemporary. Do you feel that you've shifted more into a historical sort of fiction genre now? Yeah, because even the ideas that I'm coming up with for future books, they're, they're all historical. Yeah, I guess you just can't, you know, fight what you're destined for. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was trying to fight it. But, I mean, and I read a lot of contemporary and I love contemporary, but I just kind of sit nicely in that historical era, that later historical era, era so it's, you know, 40s through to 60s. Yeah. yeah. No issues from your publisher with, with shifting into a, a slightly different genre? No, it was actually really great timing in terms with Burning Fields. So that was 1948 Australia and 1943 Italy. So that was definitely the most historical that I had written at that particular point in time. And I think it was just as the historical books were starting to, you know, get a second wind again. Yeah. So my timing was actually really great. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. and, and that's the name of the game in publishing. Sometimes luck just needs to be on your side as well. But as you say, it comes back to writing that story that's in your heart at the time yes. and what you're passionate about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Where would be the best place for people to find the book and what formats is it available in? Yeah, it's available in print and ebook. So any of your uh, book retailers, either online or bricks and mortar, should have some copies. We've actually just gone into reprint, which is really nice. People are finding it really hard to get. So hopefully people should find it a lot easier to get now. That's brilliant, Ellie. And where can people find you online? Yeah, I hang out on Facebook. So it's Ali Sinclair Author and Instagram, Ali underscore Sinclair. Very rarely on Twitter. But I also have my own website, which is mm. AliSinclair.com. And, uh, yeah, so I've got all my books up there. And I also have a newsletter if people are interested in signing up for that because my newsletter readers always get first uh, first look at covers or any big news and I also run lots of giveaways and special prizes and do book reviews for other authors as well. Great. So they can everyone can find that on your website, which is a really yeah. great comprehensive website. Well, thanks so much, Ali. We're about to launch into our four curly questions for the Patreon supporters, but for everyone else, it's farewell and thanks so much for being on Rights for Women. Thanks so much for having me, Pamela. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. If you love what you hear, you can support the podcast through Patreon by clicking the Patreon link in the show notes or on the info page on the website. All Patreon supporters will receive a monthly Wisdom from the Convo Couch Roundup with curated tips from each episode and exclusive access to an extended edition of the monthly craft episode in both audio and video format, where I'll be asking my guests for their top writing tips and some curly additional questions. On a personal writing note, my current release is All We Dream. 
If you'd like to know more about it or any of my books, you can check out my website at pamelacook.com.au for more information. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women. Have a great week and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. Thank you.